morning, Springbrook. Oh, man, this is the house of Jesus Christ. Come on. Good morning, Springbrook. That's better. You know, in the 8 o'clock service, back row is full. If we're on a reservation, the front rows and the floor would be full. There'd be a dog coming up the center, so if anybody's got a dog in the car, bring him in, put him right in the center. That'd make me feel at home. My name is Sinner. My last name is Redeemed. And I'm glad to be able to be here with you. So I've got a really interesting message today. But I want to open up with some prayer. But I want to do it reservation style. Okay? It's a little bit uh, different, maybe perhaps what you're used to. But I just want you to be with the Holy Spirit. So I'll tell you what. Chaplain Richard, also known as your pastor, is going to come up and pray with me. We're going to pray for the events of this world. Since we're police and fire chaplains, we're going to pray specifically for them. See, this is something that touches us completely. We sent a team down to Dallas to be with those folks. And it was chaos. And it was heartache. Not just for the community, but for the police department. And then there was Baton Rouge, Minnesota, Kansas City. It goes on and on and on. So I just want to take some time to pray for them and pray for the community. Now listen, as I pray, I would just ask that you all would just stand up and make your way forward. This will only take a second. But I just want you to make your way forward to the stage. Okay? Now let's start. Let's give ourselves up. The day is long past us. When you walk out that door, there's a schedule, agenda, a phone waiting for you. And it's waiting for you with open arms. Let me take all your distractions. Let me give you some distractions. But today, to this hour, is ours with Jesus. Okay? Amen indeed. All right. So Richard and I are going to pray. We're going to pray like we do as chaplains. We're going to do this little rapid round prayer. And remember, as we start to pray, you rise up and come forward. So only take a few moments. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we bow our heads to the sovereign God. Lord, we pray that you give us the ability to put away distractions. We seek to hear your word, Lord, so please receive our sin. Let nothing be between us. Lord, there's things that I know you know about us that need to leave our bodies. There's things that you know that shouldn't be in our lives. Let them go away, Lord. Let Satan not be here with us. Receive our sin. Forgive us, Lord. Lord, I pray for the police departments all over the nation. I pray for them. Every day they put on a uniform and the badge and the belt and the vest, the bulletproof vest, weighs an extra 50 pounds. And they're so highly trained and they're so highly skilled and observant. They watch out for everything. So, Lord, I ask that you keep them safe. You keep them alert. Father, I thank you for the gift of your spirit. I thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. I was thinking about Jesus with the disciples in John 14, right before he gets ready to leave. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. I know there are so many things that cause us to be troubled. There's things, there's circumstances and things that happen in our lives that cause us to be troubled. But God, you said that we can take heart, that you have overcome the world, and we have the gift of your spirit that can guide and direct us and strengthen us. God, you are the King of kings. You're the Lord of lords. You're the King of the Jews. God, through you, all things are possible. God, with man, things are impossible. But with you, all things are possible. And so, God, I pray that you would strengthen us this morning. I pray that your spirit would pour over us. 
God, I pray that we would have a sense of your working in our life in a fresh new way. I thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you. God, through, the, through your son, we have one mediator. We can come directly into your presence through your son. So I just thank you for that gift and for the gift of your spirit. And I do thank you for the opportunity that you give us to be salt and light in our community, for the opportunity that we have to minister to those around us. I thank you for the influence that we can be with our friends and our neighbors and our families. And, and God, we have been entrusted. We've been entrusted with a hope and a message that the world desperately needs to hear. And so, God, thank you for those opportunities you give us to share. I do thank you for the opportunity we have to serve those in our community. God, you are the chief servant. God, you put your apron around us and you wash our feet and you give us a model for what it means to serve others. And so thank you for the opportunity you give us to serve our first responders. For our firemen that just bravely go into burning homes to rescue kids and who walk up under the scene of, a, of an accident to help people break free of a car that's been damaged. And God, the things that they see, I know that they have a hard time letting go of those. And so God... I just pray that you'd be with our firemen as they serve our community. And God, I pray that you'd minister to them. And I thank you for our police department that does go before us, that provides protection. Ultimately, we know our protection's in you. But God, thank you for our government, for the opportunity that we have to be in a land that just that we can experience freedom for those that serve and protect that freedom. And so God, thank you for the opportunity to minister to them as well. Lord God, I pray for the coroners that have to take these bodies, these lifeless bodies back to their office and care for them. I pray for the funeral home directors that have to take care of the families and the finances and the ceremony and all these things that are so difficult for the human mind and heart to deal with. Lord, I pray for the dispatchers that that answer a call for a cat up a tree and ten seconds later they're instructing a child how to give CPR to their mother because they stop breathing. Every 32 seconds, Lord, there's a new call. Lord, when it rains, when, it, when there's a snowstorm, let this audience, let this church be praying extra hard for all of these people because they're at work when we're saved. Lord, let your beautiful heart be upon all of us today. In your gracious name, your beautiful name, amen. amen. Now look out. Amen. Look at us. This is a reservation church. This is an Acts 2 church, right? Amen. How about that worship band? Just keep on clapping. You're clapping for Jesus. Don't be too cool where you can't clap. God gave you a worship band that is amazing. Your singers, your guitar players, keep on clapping. A pastor, Gary, you know how difficult it is to get up here and play an instrument and talk and sing? And thank you for showing up this morning. Praise God. Amen. Be seated. Thank you, brother. Well, because of your love and provision, we've been able to get to the fight in so many places. We've been to the officer shootings in Dallas and Baton Rouge and Kansas City. We've been on the highways and byways managing fatalities with our state troopers. We've been with the police and fire departments riding alongside our brothers and sisters and helping them get ready for the fight. We've been in buildings, uh, building amazing training programs called Resiliency and Crisis Intervention. And some of these folks never know that the gospel is woven into these presentations. There may be a few folks every now and then will come up to me and say, Hey, I know that. That's from Matthew 18. And I'll just smile. Everything we do is predicated off of the Holy Word. We've been presiding over weddings and funerals, baptisms, and some really difficult counselings. 
Because of this church, we've been able to drive 200 miles a day to the fight and back home. It is possible because of a heart that seeks to chase after God. That's you. And I'm eternally grateful for every penny that you've given to us. And as the Lord and I wake up every morning and we decide this penny shall be used here and this dollar here, and we'll buy equipment and we'll become more trained, we'll be ready for anything they need, that's because of you. God is working through you and I am so grateful. Springbrook, amen. Well, I asked Richard to come out here because chaplains have a tendency to to pray a certain way. We pray with a lot of fervor, and sometimes it's emotional, and and sometimes uh, it's intense. It's the reason why I chose this particular scripture today. It's intense. You know, Acts is a special book. There are over 593,493 words in the Old Testament. Over 181,000 words in the New Testament for a total of over 774,000 chapters. There's over 23,145 verses in the Old Testament and 7,958 in the New Testament, totaling over 31,000 verses. God has chosen that you would review the book of Acts today, chapter 27, just a little bit of 28, just 42 easy verses, 42 to maybe 55 verses. It won't take us much time at all. And if you're taking notes, take notes for the things that you'd like to incorporate in your life. But remember them somehow. Write them down on the back of your hand, a piece of paper, or the back of your program. This is a message not from me, but from the Holy Spirit through me to you. The book of Acts is amazing. You know, Dr. Luke used to, uh, he wrote the Gospel of Luke and, and Acts. He used to carry it around together wherever they went. Those two books, Luke and Acts, were carried together. The dates are a little bit up in the air. Folks can argue 60 to 65 A.D., and I'll let the theologians do that, and for good reason. The main purpose of this book was to present history. It tells the story of a founding church, the spreading of the gospel, the beginnings of the congregation and evangelistic efforts. Acts gives us a defense So if you're ever wondering what to say, how to say it, and how do I be true, and how can I back up what I say, go to Acts. It also gives us a guide. And listen, Acts shows Christians how to be victorious then and now. Never pull back the moment where you should celebrate a victory in Christ. The first 12 chapters were pretty revealing. It said, Peter comes to the Holy Land and begins the church. It says, we see Christ's resurrection ministry. There were 12 apostles arrested, and Stephen was arrested and martyred. Philip's ministry began, Saul's conversion started, and there was this Gentile church in Antioch. Hey, raise your hand if you remember a guy named Don Cole from Moody Bible Institute. He used to be on late night radio, right? Don and I were supposed to preach a long time ago about the church of Antioch. And then Don called me that Sunday morning about 10 o'clock. He said, Tim, I can't preach with you today. I said, Don, what's going on? He goes, well, my son died. He says, as I was preparing this amazing sermon on Acts, on Antioch, my son died. He said, you're going to have to go preach by yourself. And I said, well, Don, I've never preached before. And he said, I think you're going to do okay. Just tell them that you're me, Don Cole. So I did. We did okay that day. 
So that's just the first 12. Now, the remaining 16 or so, the chapters that Paul is talking about, goes on to talk about his three missionary journeys, his two imprisonments, and his experiences as a house arrest. But in chapter 27, there's this voyage. The sea voyage might reasonably be called Paul's fourth missionary journey. He connected and many and witnessed with uh, several hundred, just as faithful as he did in any other of his places. Chains did not hinder him. In fact, in his entire journey, it was a promise that the Lord gave him. Back in 2 Timothy, he said, Wherein I suffered trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, the word of God is not bound. In Philippians, we, we read that the things which happened to him worked out for his furtherance of the gospel. You see, the Lord promised Paul he would go to Rome. He was yearning to go to Rome. The trip this time will be a little different than others. It is to be made of an, a, um, ex- at the expense of Rome. See, Rome considered him a prisoner now. And so he went through this court process, and on he went. When Paul appealed his case to Caesar, he was moved out of the jurisdiction into the jurisdiction of Festus, the governor. As King Agrippa had said after hearing his case in Acts 26, verse 32, this man might have been at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. They couldn't do anything about it now. They had to send him to Rome. The chapter of Acts is like a captain's log. Any Star Trekkies here? Yeah, I know you're hidden. You're there. I see you. Well, it's just like a captain's log, if you will. It has been considered some of the finest descriptions of the sea voyage in the ancient world on record today. One such individual that would research these records was a guy named Sir William Ramsey. He studied Luke's writing endlessly. You see, he was going after the gospel and trying to prove it false. He wasn't reading it for the real good reasons. He was reading it for angst and anger. Now, Sir William Ramsey was a Scotsman, an archaeologist, and he lived until the year 1939. He came from an outstanding academic career. He had doctors from nine universities. He was knighted for his contributions to modern scholarship. Several of his works on New Testament history are considered classics. And he was the son of an atheist. And more amazing, he was an atheist. Now watch what happens. When confronted with the evidence of the years of travel and determination to prove the Bible false, Sir William Ramsey learned what many others before him and since have been forced to acknowledge. Here's what he said. When we objectively examine the evidence for the Bible's accuracy and veracity, the only conclusion we can reach is the Bible is true. Ladies and gentlemen, Sir William Ramsey was converted to Christianity trying to prove the Bible was wrong. Amen? The Bible is sufficient. It stands on its own merit. It's written by a one true God. So let's get busy into this beautiful chapter. I am going to look for my water. Trust me. Did I? Thank you, brother. Oh, Tristan, what a warrior. And he comes from good stock, too. Amen? All right. So here's where we go. I'm going to read this opening line in both the King James Version and the Holman Version Bible. Now, many of you have different versions of the Bible, and that's wonderful, as long as you can get that word into you. But certain versions have a little bit more clarity, have a little bit more accurate definition. So the Lord always wanted you to come from this place where you're drinking the milk, 
to the meat, right? And so I'm going to read to the King James first. And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and, and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustus band. So in your mind, you're thinking a guy named Julius, a centurion of an Augustus band. I have no idea what Augustus is and who. Now I'm going to go to the Holman Bible. When it was decided that we were to sail to Italy, they handed over Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion named Julius of the Imperial Regiment. So it tells us he's being handled by an individual of an imperial type of guard. This is the beginning of the voyage to Italy. Paul, along with the other prisoners he is put in charge with, is being cared for by a guy named Julius. I would think it's safe to say that Paul was one of the only prisoners of a Roman citizenship. Probably the others were criminals who were sent to Rome for execution. Many of them became gladiators and would be fed to wild beasts. You've seen some movies and read some stories about that. Well, in that day, there was a constant stream of human life from all corners of the empire that were being thrown into this mall to lose their lives. These prisoners would be utterly hopeless. What an opportunity this gave Paul to bring the gospel to an amazing, serious audience. You'll remember that the Lord Jesus himself said that one reason he came to set the prisoners free, and of course that was uh, free spiritually, he delivered them from their sins and delivered them from their guilt. The centurion Julius was a pagan, but part of an elite guard, but had established a trust with Paul. His courtesy was evident throughout as well, as his trust to Paul, the prisoner, allowed him to roam free. Now, you can imagine, you have a prisoner right next to you who could take off and hurt people. But Julius said, listen, Paul, we're at port. Go see your friends and then come back. And Paul said, okay. I have many friends that know Jesus intellectually. We have called them good Christians. And I have more colleagues that don't know or refuse to know Jesus at all. Those same unbelieving colleagues have at times acted more kind and compassionate than the believers that I know and wish would be different. Let your life reflect that of Christ. Let them know who you are. I'm going to pull up the first slide for us. This is a little picture of the journey. And so I'm not sure if you can see that slide completely. I tried to find the right one with the color context. But I'm going to go into the next couple verses, and you'll kind of see. From the far right is where he's starting his journey in a place called Caesarea. As you know, they're working their way up the coast and then over to the west. We'll find out why. So when he had boarded the ship of Adramidium, we put to sea, intending to sail to ports along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and allowed him to go see his friends. On this map, you will notice that they sailed directly Um, Instead of going out to sea, they're going to go to points along the the shore. Even the great apostle needed fellowship and refreshment. None of us are immune to that. We need encouragement. We need to be lifted. When I was out in your hallway today, I was just watching you all interact. It's kind of the anthropologic thing I do. I like to watch people groups come together. There's churches that meet people in hallways and they say, how's it going? Good. Okay, see you later. And then there's churches that go, I know your father was sick. How's that going? There's a difference between being 30,000-foot Christian and being dirty in the gospel, being all in, 
be that church that gets all in. Don't ask 30,000-foot questions. How are you? Go deeper. We have the right to go deeper with each other. We are the children of God. Verses 4 through 6. We had put out to sea from there, and we sailed along the northern coast of Cyprus because the winds were against us. After sailing through the open sea off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we reached Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. Now, these aren't cruise lines, clearly. It's a three-mast ship. It's very shallow to the top of the water, so it, it does this a lot. And it's not heated unless they've got a stove uh, pipe down below. There's many things that these ships were used for. Sailing slowly for many days, we came with difficulty as far as Nidus. Since the wind did not allow us to approach it, we sailed along south uh, of the side of Crete off Salmon. With yet more difficulty, we sailed along the coast and came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Just in case you're wondering what Crete looks like in the summer, did this surprise you? Did you think that Crete was this nice little island where it's always 100 degrees and everybody's on the beach? Winters are terrible on the Med. This can get really tricky. They were headed for the island of Crete. Apparently, there was still, they were still having problems sailing. You don't have a motor on these boats. You have the wind, and that's it. Contrary winds were the great difficulty for sailing vessels. They passed on the south side of the island and came to Lycia, which is on the south shore of Crete. In verses 9 through 11, Paul tells us, or Luke tells us, By now much time had passed, and the voyage was already dangerous. Since the fast was already over, Paul gave his advice, and he told them, Men, I can see that this voyage is headed towards damage and heavy loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid attention to the captain and the owner of the ship rather than what Paul said. I find it um, to be uh, very transparent in our lives today. This continues to happen. There was an old... uh, uh, product called, still is today, called NyQuil. Remember NyQuil? Well, it started off as a day medicine. And finally, somebody in the back of the room said, look, we are losing money like crazy, and this thing isn't working. It's making everybody sleepy. Well, the janitor in the back of the room who just happened to be emptying the garbage can said, why don't you make it a nighttime cold medicine? And everybody kind of looked at the room and said, that's not a bad idea. Same thing happened with
his personality. Paul knew what was going on. We can observe the three Since the harbor was unsuitable uh, for winter, the majority decided to set sail from there, hoping somehow to reach Phoenix, a harbor on Crete open to the southwest and northwest, and, and to winter there. And when a gentle south wind blew, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, losing hence, they sailed close by Crete. Now, for those of you that might not know Crete, if Pastor Dan had Richard and I around his arm, and he said, Richard, I'm sending you off to your mission. You're going to Lake Forest. And Richard would say, yay, Lake Forest. And then he looked at me and he said, Tim, I'm going to send you to South Chicago. There would be a different aspect. There would be a different um, perspective of us. Well, Paul did the same thing with Timothy and Titus. He said, Timothy, I'm going to send you out to Ephesus. A lot of opportunity out there. It's amazing. Praying for it. Then he looks to Titus and he says, Brother, uh, i got some bad news. The uh, creek. Yes! Creek! Awesome! I'm going to Creek. We're learning about all going to the island of Crete or near it. We're learning about his strength. Events are going on to prove Paul would be right. Throughout this voyage,
I noticed as we were flying in, in Saudi Arabia, I noticed a little blink on our screen. It was about 60 miles out. I got a little nervous, and I said, Colonel, there's a uh, bogey out about 60 miles. And I remember the colonel looked at me, and he goes, are you afraid? A little bit. I've never been out here in the war before, so I'm a little nervous. He said, you know what, give it some time. Let me know how you feel in a few moments. And so my inside voice was, what? A few moments? Gee, in 30 seconds. So I waited a few moments, and I looked at the colonel, and I said, Colonel, they're within 30, and they're not turning back. So now I started sweating. You know, in those flight suits, it's real hot. You get sweat all over the place. So he smiled, and he looked at me, and he said, hey, look out your right window. And it was pitch black out. In the desert, when there's no moon, blackness. I looked out, and I said, sir, I don't see anything. What do you want me to do? He goes, look again. I looked again, and there was a flight of F-15s on our right and on our left, and they were flipping on their cockpit lights. And at that moment, I realized we're going to be okay. And I looked at the colonel, and the colonel goes, eagles on our wings. Eagles were the code name for an F-15 strike eagle. And he said, eagles on our wings. There was that moment within me, a pure moment of fear overcome by something greater. That's where we're at with this place, with the chaplaincy. I was not sure of my destiny, but someone stood out and led us home. And just off script here, when we saw that coastline, that eastern seaboard coming home after the war, the colonel said, everybody up front. We all looked out the front window, and we saw the United States of America, the eastern seaboard, after a long and hot war. And he said, isn't she beautiful? And as men do in, in, in military, we put our visors down, and we wept. Because it was at that moment we appreciated what God gave us, America. In Acts 27, uh, verse 21 now, we're turning the corner. Since many uh, were going without food, Paul stood up them, uh, among them and said, You men should have followed my advice to not to sail to Crete and sustain the damage and loss. Now I urge you to take courage because there will be no loss of any of our lives, but only the ship. For this night an angel of God I belong to and served stood by me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and look. God has graciously given you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, take courage, men. I, because I, uh, I believe God that uh, it will be just the way it was told to me. However, we must run aground on certain islands. You can understand that uh, this was a very encouraging word to all the men on the ship. There was 264 men on that ship. In fact, it was the only thing they had to hang on to. Notice the wonderful testimony of Paul, whose I am and whom I serve. His confidence was in God. He said, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it should be even as it was told to me. This is amazing. When I'm praying as to what sermon I shall deliver, Acts 27 became heavy on my heart. As I was putting my sermon together, a friend had called me in uh, he said, Tim, I'm in Malta. I'm like, Malta, Illinois? That's awesome. He said, no, Malta, Italy. 
I said, you know, I, I'm giving a sermon on Malta, Italy. This is Malta today. Now, what terrible things could happen to a little time, town like this out in the sea? This looks beautiful, calm, and peaceful. This is Malta. And this is an, on land. It was revealed to Paul that they would cast, be cast upon the island, which later would be called Malta. Now, keep in mind, Malta is only 17 miles wide by 9 miles long. There are 490,000 people in Malta today. It's a pretty amazing island and substantial. Moving on further, the 14th night was to come as we were driven up and down Adria. Uh, about midnight, the shipmen deemed that they uh, drew near to some country. Then fearing lest they should have fallen upon the rocks, they cast four anchors out to the stern and wished for the day. They're, uh, they're out in a deep ocean at this point. In the 14th night at midnight, it became apparent that um, they were getting closer to something. They put a, a sound out, the Bible says. It was a sound test. And what it was was a rope connected to a big heavy metal object. And they would just keep on sending it down until it hit bottom or hit something. And then they would know how many fathoms. So it went from 90 fathoms, or 120 fathoms to 100 to 90. So they knew they were getting closer to something. Now, fathom is about six feet. And so after their soundings, they knew they were getting close. Now, in verses 30 through 32, really important. Some sailors tried to escape from the ship. They had let down the skiff into the sea and pretending that they were going to put out acres from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay on the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut the ropes holding the skiffs and dropped it away. The crew was trying to abandon ship. They acted as if they were dropping the anchor, but they were actually trying to go overboard. They were leaving a sinking ship just like rats. They were doing something which they would, should never have done. Paul tells the centurion that only the assurance of safety is that they'll remain on the ship. The angel of God told Paul he and the men would be saved, so he had that assurance. It was the question of believing God. It's all the questions of our life. Shall we believe God? And he tells them that if they wanted to be saved, they all have to stay on board. In verse 33, we hear, When it was daylight, Paul urged them to all take food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have been waiting, going without food. Therefore, I urge you to take on some food. So they're working through these 14 days, and now Paul urges them to eat. Apparently, they've, uh, uh, they've gone through a very difficult fast. The pagans had fasted because uh, they were scared of death. When you're on those ships, you're up and down the seas and you can't hold things down in your stomach. So they feared until they saw the land. In verse 35, I'll just um, go through this slightly. In 35 through 44, he said he gave thanks to God for the presence of all of them. Uh, 276 of us on the ship, they threw the grain overboard. They ran the ship ashore casting off the anchors, but they struck a sandbar and ran the ship aground first. The prisoners were to be killed. But remember that centurion who had great relationship with Paul. He said, I don't, I don't want Paul to be killed. I need to keep him safe. So he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard and first get to land. That took away all the killers. 
The rest were to follow, some on planks and, and some on debris, but everyone safely reached that shore. 276 people reached the shore. Now imagine if 276 people came to your neighborhood. They had to take care of all of them. There was another gospel way back when, when Jesus told us about a boat one night across the Sea of Galilee. The same kind of faith was needed. Now we cannot say that Jesus didn't know the storm was coming, much like he knows the storm you're in. He deliberately sent them to the storm. He is God. He knows. One of the hardest things to to help people understand is God must allow everything. We reflect back to Job often by saying, listen, that conversation that Job and Satan had, you can mess with him, but he's still going to come back and love me. And Satan, in his own words, said, no, I don't think so. I think I got this one. He's having the same conversations about you every morning. I never want you to forget about that. Every morning you wake up, your feet hit the floor. God, Satan, having a conversation. You know, I, I think I'll take his job. I'm going to take her health. Um, I'm going to take your pastor away. I'm going to take that car away. Then you can't go anywhere. Uh, I'll, I know what I'll do. I will take away your internet. That'll drive me crazy. When we go on missions trips, we have to get away phones, don't we? We have to give away laptops. And it's hard, isn't it? That's the place we're at. The Lord has promised to be with us in all our storms. And he will be there right through the one you're going through. But seek out not only the comfort of others, but seek out the truth of God's word. The centurion was, um, was protecting Paul so he wouldn't be killed. He did something very kind. You know, a lot of times people will protect you. You will protect somebody else that's a, a believer. Maybe in the job, maybe in a child, maybe here in the church. You will stand with somebody. That's important. We're coming down to the, the end of um, uh, 27 and just touching 28 here. And when they, uh, they were escaped and they knew the island was, uh, was called Mel- Malta, and they began to... Um, do some great ministry. Paul uh, Paul landed across uh, onto this island. And it starts raining and they wanted to build a fire and he builds this fire and he grabs for a stick and this viper bites him and wraps his body around his arm. Now the people on the island said, he must be a prisoner, he's being punished, he's going to die. And then they saw that nothing happened to Paul. They knew that he was a god, small g still confused about who God was, still confused about why those people were there, Paul then had to minister to everybody and teach them about the one true God. He shook the creature off and he moved it away, and then the ministry began. It came to pass that he met something very, someone very important. Uh, the father of uh, Publius uh, lay sick, and Paul entered and prayed and put his hands on him, and he healed him. So in the storm, amazing things will be said. In the storm, you'll be called to do good things. In the storm, there is an after. After the storm, you will then see God's grace. You will see God's plan. But you've got to get through the storm. But you don't have to do it alone. So let me ask you these questions. I'm closing now. So our application from our learning is this. If he says he's sending you to Rome, you're going. The question is, what is your Rome? If he sends you through the storm, don't worry. He has you. There is a beginning and end. 
Stay the course and know your Bible. God will use people, places, ships, snakes to complete his plan. Trust in him. What are the snakes in your world? Where is the Crete in your world? What is the purpose of your life? Where is your Eurocliden today? Is there a storm on the Sea of Malta in your life? What is your Malta? The injustice of Rome is all around us. It doesn't mean we quit. Satan knows how to destroy you. He knows how to distract you. He knows how to make you hate. But Jesus Christ knows you are worthy and that he died for you. He paid the sins once and for all. Make your testimony a work in progress. But start today. So I'm going to lead a prayer. And for those of you that don't know Christ as your Savior, you have an opportunity to ask more questions or pray with me. We're going to just pray a a small salvation prayer. And then we're going to close. The Acts, the beautiful book of Acts, has amazing messages. I pray that you took something away from this. So all in the sound of my voice, close your eyes, bow your head. Come to this place. Heavenly Father, some of us have known you a good long time, and it's time to renew our faith for you. We thank you, Lord, for taking us from this amazing place of sin and degradation into this new world, this new life. But now make our prayers stronger. Make our intention known. Bring us courage and wisdom. And Lord, for those of us that don't know you, I ask, Lord, that you place men and women alongside them so one day they would come to this prayer. Lord, receive my sin. All of it. It's just not working out the way I'm doing it. I'm tired and exhausted and I need you to be the Savior in my life. I know it's not going to be easy, but please send the men and the women, the messengers and the mentors. Help me be strong for this life. Because you have taught me I don't know the minutes and I don't own the hours. Oh, gracious Father, how we love you. In your heavenly name, amen.